opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the California Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss Community Call. We're going to be talking about important things for those of us who are preparing for retirement and managing our assets. And to moderate this program today, we're going to have Jeff Tom, who is the immediate past president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And Jeff, the floor is yours. Okay, thank you, Frank. So my dad used to say uh, a popular saying, uh, getting old ain't for sissies. And that's definitely true for a whole variety of reasons. And one of which is that there are a lot of costs that come up as you age, including health care, long-term care, and various types of services. And they can obviously eat up your assets. And then, of course, um, as we all, as we age, we want to think about leaving our assets to our loved ones or whoever else we might want to leave them to in the future. So today we have with us Gerald Kane, attorney at law in Los Angeles, um, referred by one of our own AAVL members, uh, Bob Costa, and Gerald is going to talk to us about various ways of enabling ourselves to retain our assets, both for use by us as we age and for the future, um, so that we can pass them on to those who uh, come after us. So without any further introduction, because you don't really want to hear me, I'm going to turn it over to Gerald. So Gerald, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you, Jeff. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here this uh, uh, this early evening. And um, I know you all probably have some things you could be doing besides listening to a presentation about, you know, how to protect and preserve your assets. But the fact that you're here, you know, shows that you're really thinking about these things and it's important. And, you know, as Jeff said, this is something you do have to think about. And Unfortunately, you know, it's still 69% of Americans die without a will or any plan whatsoever. And, you know, maybe you think you don't need a plan, you know, maybe you think nothing's going to happen to you. And, you know, unfortunately, my own personal story, you know, I was 37 years old sitting at a basketball game with my first wife. I looked over at her and she was crying out in tears. She had kind of a lump in her throat and uh, it turned out we went to the doctor the next day. It turned out to be terminal thyroid cancer. I took care of her and two little girls and she passed right on her 40th birthday. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, the shoemaker never has his own shoes. I didn't have proper insurance protection in place. I didn't even have a simple will in place. You know, luckily, you know, when you're married, a lot of times you don't need to have a estate plan in place, but you do have to have proper protection in place to make sure that, you know, those assets can be replaced and, so, you know, the, the moral is you really have to do estate planning now and you want to make sure you do it before you can't do it, before you lose capacity. Because by the time I was able to get her to do any kind of planning, she was barely able to scribble on a piece of paper. Um, I was actually talking to a client, a potential client earlier today, and this happens all the time. And he said to me, you know, I'd like to try to get a power of attorney. 
and we'll talk about what that means in a, in a few minutes uh, for my dad um, and create an estate plan. And I, I said, well, is dad here? And he said, no. And I said, well, does dad have capacity? He said, well, no, he's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I've been his represented payee for social security for five years. And he said, I don't think he really understands much anymore. And I said, well, I think you might've waited a little too long because, you know, there's not a lot we can do at this point other than to go to court. Um, and so this happens all the time and you have to do a plan, you know, before you're too sick to talk or write, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, how to plan for the present and the future and how to create a life plan, a life care plan that can really help you retain your assets. And we're also going to give you some important information tonight to give you an idea of what happens if you don't plan and how to put a proper estate plan in place. You know, we are going to discuss the importance of having a life plan and protecting your assets while you're living, you know, discuss the proper elements of a good estate plan and what is probate and some of the differences between a will and a trust the important documents you really must have in place and you know how to create a, a legacy that can last for the next hundreds of years, a financial, spiritual, or charitable legacy potentially. Now, a little bit about me. Um, you know, I have been a practicing attorney for, gosh, it seems almost forever, but it's um, 28 years. And you know, I'm a certified specialist uh, in the state of California in the area of estates, trusts, and probate law. And, you know, I'm in the top 5% of attorneys uh, being a super lawyer for the past uh, three years and also for 2023. And, you know, I'm also an accredited attorney with the Veterans Association. So I help a lot of veterans get veterans benefits. And, you know, as I mentioned, or maybe didn't mention, you know, my, my oldest daughter has special needs. So I do a lot of special needs planning as well. And, you know, that's important when you have disabilities, whether they're, you know, from, uh, you know, onset when you're a child or when you have them later on in life. And, you know, anybody can end up, you know, becoming in the category of being disabled. You never know when that might happen. So it's important to think about those things and have a good disability plan in place. Um, and so that's a little bit about me. Um, and, you know, less than 20% of Americans, they, they have an estate plan, don't have an estate plan. Um, and a majority of them, you know, probably have something wrong with their plan. They haven't looked at it in 10 years. They didn't fund it properly. They didn't work with an attorney. They have documents that don't really reflect what they want. Or most importantly, they didn't contemplate long-term care needs. And as people are, you know, living longer, sometimes not always in the best of health with all kinds of, you know, ABCs of diseases, uh, you know, between Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and ALS and you name it, you know, disease du jour, there's, there's a million things out there that can go wrong and you could be living a very long time. And a lot of planning really doesn't contemplate what happens if you live, but you don't pass away. So we're going to be talking a lot about that today. What happens if you live, but don't pass away? And everybody somehow needs to address their estate plan needs, whether it's getting a plan in place or, you know, reviewing their current plan. Now, retirees' top fears, what are they? Well, they're the fear of outliving their money, longevity, and modern medicine. You know, modern medicine, as I just mentioned, it means that people are living longer. You know, our, you know, our parents and our grandparents, you know, they, you know, retired when they were 55, got a nice gold Rolex watch, you know, 
drove around in a Winnebago and, you know, most of them passed away gracefully in their sleep. Well, that isn't happening anymore. People are living a lot longer due to modern medicine and modern science. And so planning really has to evolve to take this into consideration. Um, so the fear of rising and uncertain healthcare costs and serious illnesses, you know, the fear of inaccurate and bad information, not knowing where to turn, and how do you maintain independence and dignity and stay in, stay in control? Now, you know, I'll often joke and say, what age does estate planning begin? It actually begins at 18, right? Because you are considered a legal adult. You've got to have basic plans in place at 18. And if anybody on here has children or grandchildren, you know, this is something you probably want to let them know as well, because if they have kids who are off at college, you know, thousands of miles away and something happens and they can't communicate, you know, the doctors and hospitals are probably not going to give the parents any information. And so you could be hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away and not be able to get any, any information due to what's called the medical privacy rules. So, you know, a basic plan needs to have a medical privacy waiver and a healthcare directive so somebody can make medical decisions and a financial power of attorney. And every single estate plan really needs to have three parts, a life care plan, a transfer plan, and a life and a family plan. Now, the life care plan is the part that's often overlooked. It's protecting things while you're alive, incapacity planning and asset protection planning, a lot of people think that your estate plan only protects you while you're gone, but it also protects you while you're alive, getting capacitated, or you're alive and get stuck in rush hour. So, you know, I actually had a client, you know, they were in their mid-60s. Wife had advanced Alzheimer's and husband was using her 401k to take care of her. She had significant, a very significant amount of money in her 401k. Um, the, the spouse, the husband, didn't really have any assets of her own. Well, somehow, and I'm not sure exactly how, the financial institution found out that he was using her 401k to take care of her. And guess what they did? They froze the account. And he had no way to take care of her. And she was getting around the clock, 24-hour care, which, by the way, costs, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a month, even if you don't need skilled care. That's just for around-the-clock, non-skilled care to help with things like dressing and bathing and getting out of bed and getting out of a chair. You know, if you need skilled care, gosh, it could be even more. Um, so anyways, he comes into my office and he says, what do I do? And I say, well, have you done any planning? Do you have a financial power of attorney in place? He said, no. I said, do you have a trust in place? He said, no. And I said, unfortunately, we're going to have to go to court. Now, California likes to be different. California, we call it a conservatorship, but most states call it a guardianship and an adult guardianship. And so we're going to have to go in court, into court and petition the court for you to become her conservator or guardian. And so we started the process costing, you know, thousands of dollars in legal fees and filing fees and other costs. And guess what happened? He passed away before we can complete the process. And her only family was her um you know, her brother, who also had Alzheimer's in Texas. And so there was no family to step up. And so now we had to go find a professional, uh, professional fiduciary, a professional conservator. And there are people out there that will, will do this. But guess what? They got to be paid too. So now it's costing the estate even more money. Well, we finally get everything in place. 
we get the conservatorship in place and we're really concerned what happens if she passes away? You know, her assets are going to end up in court and they're going to go through the process we call probate, which is very time consuming and very expensive. So we actually went into court and we started the process of trying to get the court to create a plan for her, which can be done, but I would never rely upon that because unfortunately, even in this situation um, where you don't know what the judge is going to do or if they're going to go along with it, guess what happened? She passed away before we could get it in place. So now her state's in probate costing hundreds of thousands of dollars more in filing fees and legal fees. And due to a little quirk, in California law, two spouses that die very closely together within 10 years and don't have kids, half of the assets ended up going to his heirs and the other half ended up going to her heirs. And I doubt she wanted her hard earned money that she worked so hard to build and grow going to his heirs. I'm sure that she's not happy about that. But unfortunately, that's what happened. So you've got to do planning. And unfortunately, you know, people are trying to figure out what to do and people are often getting terrible advice from friends, from the internet, from attorneys who even aren't knowledgeable about this area of law. You know, I have clients who come into my office all the time on a regular basis or just plain misinformed. And they think that it's going to protect them in the event that they need long-term care, but it won't. You know, here's some examples of bad advice that clients think that, that it's going to protect them if they need long-term care. Well, you can't qualify for veterans benefits because you have too much assets or income. Give all your assets away so you can avoid Medicaid estate recovery. Well, now that your mom is in a facility, you have to do a spend down. You don't have any choice. Putting your kids as joint account owners is a good idea because you'll avoid probate. Well, this is terrible advice and in many cases, just not true. I'll tell you, long-term care planning is highly complicated. And you really have to be an expert to have and have knowledge in many areas of the law, including not only estate planning, but income taxation, real estate, real estate taxation, Medicaid roles, Medicare, Social Security, special needs planning and veterans benefits to really do a good job in this area. And not knowing what to do, where to turn and who can help you is very stressful. The average person you know, it's going to stay in an assisted living facility for 22 months. You know, 60% leave the assisted living facility because they're going to go into a skilled nursing facility. By the way, nursing facilities uh, cost eight to $10,000 a month. So there too are very exp expensive. And again, that's if you don't need, you know, critical care. If you need critical care, it could be as much as $30,000 a month. Or, you know, they need 24-hour care to be under observation. So one in three over 65 are going to spend a year in a nursing home. One in 10 are going to spend five years in a nursing home over 65. And unless something changes, you know, I, you know, there's people on this, this call, I imagine, from various different ages. Unfortunately, two out of three of us are going to need some sort of care. So you really have to start about, start thinking about getting care in place. And we're going to talk about it. If you can get long-term care insurance, I'm a huge proponent of getting long-term care insurance and making sure that, you know, at least you can rely upon that. You know, sometimes you have one spouse who's very independent and the other one has a debilitating long-term disease, like, for example, Alzheimer's that we talked about. 
And that planning has to consider the effect that the wealth spouse is going to have on the institutionalized spouse, or I mean, the institutionalized spouse is going to have on the wealth spouse, that the wealth spouse is going to have enough assets to live on. And, you know, maybe they're trying to support the family home that they're living in. And you want to make sure that if you're married, that, you know, the wealth spouse is not left completely impoverished themselves and that they don't have any real long-term care options in the future. And on top of that, they have no assets. Now, for some, a simple revocable living trust is not going to cut it. And we're going to talk a little bit about revocable living trusts. It's mainly a document for probate avoidance that allows you to transfer ownership without any court process. But usually most people remain in control and have full assets to the assets in the trust. Therefore, those assets are going to be considered available to you if you apply for Medicaid or VA pension. Now, again, I'm in California, so California would like to be different. We call it Medi-Cal. Most states call it Medicaid, but it's the same thing. Some states have their own name for it. Like in Maine, they call it Maine Care. And um, so some states have their own name for Medicaid, but it's all the Medicaid program. Now, you know, if you have a will, this could lead to probate and estate recovery, um, which means, you know, that the state agencies are going to ask to be reimbursed after you pass away. Giving away assets can cause harsh penalties and you could lose control. And, you know, if you, if you have a simple will, you know, this could be a ticket to end up in probate. Um, many times a child might start thinking about taking care of their parents and they desire to be compensated. And, you know, that child, you know, without a caregiver agreement in place, the Medicaid rules in most states are going to consider those as gifts, which is also going to cause harsh penalties. So, you know, times have really changed and people just don't die anymore very quickly. You know, our elderly parents or grandparents, they just passed away. But now because of modern medicine, people are lingering on much more longer with all kinds of disabilities. So basic estate planning is really not just planning for what happens if you pass away, but it's for planning for options for long-term care and preserving assets. So what are the options for you to pay for long-term care and try to preserve assets as much as possible? Well, first of all, you know, the options are Medicare, um, Medicaid, Veterans Improved Pension, long-term care insurance. You know, you're going to you play for it out of pocket, reverse mortgages, and maybe the kids. So those are really the only options that I'm aware of to pay for long-term care. Now, Medicare is not going to pay for long-term care. A lot of people think Medicare covers you for long-term care. But first of all, Medicare is only going to cover you up to 100 days. You have to be receiving nursing home care under the Medicare program. And you need to be hospitalized for at least three days and then be directly discharged to a nursing home. Um, so if you're not if you're not hospitalized for at least three days, so if you're in observation, you're sitting in the waiting room, and then you go into a, a nursing home, you know, even for rehabilitation, it's not going to pay for that. And coverage during that period of convalescence is really limited to short-term stays. Um, so benefits are usually limited to, a to the first 100 days, 
Medicare will cover the, you know, hundred percent of the cost for the first 20 days. But um, after the first 20 days, you know, um, they don't cover hundred percent of the costs. So, you know, they are going to cover 80% of the cost for the following um, uh, 21 through age one, age, uh, 21 through hundred days. So, you know, your share of costs can be very expensive. I don't know what the exact number is right now, but I think it's around $165 a day. So that could add up to be $10,000, $15,000 if you're in care in a, in a medic, under Medicare for 100 days. But by the way, most people never make it to 100 days because Medicare will throw you off of Medicare if you're not improving. So again, going back to somebody who has Alzheimer's who can't rehabilitate, a lot of times they're not going to even pay for that 100 days because they're going to say that Medicare isn't providing any real benefit. So they have the option of discontinuing Medicare. And then, you know, your only option might be to uh, go on to Medicaid. So one difference, one way that I always try to remember the difference between Medicaid and Medicare, especially when it comes to long-term care benefits, is to remember that Medicare does not care. And that's why you'll always get it straight. Which one is Medicare? Which one is Medicaid? When it comes to long-term care benefits, Medicare does not care. Now, unlike Medicare, the one primary benefit of the Medicaid program is Medicaid will pay for long-term care, usually in a nursing home, once a patient is qualified, even if it's only considered custodial care. And what does that mean? That means if all you need is assistance with activities of daily living, like dressing and bathing and getting out of bed and getting out of a chair or taking medications and things like that, Medicaid is actually designed to pay for that. But in most cases, depending upon the state in which you're in, it's really designed to pay for care in a skilled nursing facility. Now, there might be you know, various programs to allow you to stay at home. Uh, there's the PACE program and there's other programs that are designed to help you stay at home and various waiver programs if you can qualify for them. But you never want to rely upon that. And, you know, again, you know, a nursing home, if you can avoid it, you do want to avoid it because they're not the nicest places. You know, they're a hospital environment, a sterile environment with those hospital smells and those linoleum floors. So, you know, we hope nobody ever has to remain in one for a long term period. And you have options, which is really what we're trying to show you is that there are options. Um, now, you know, Medicaid will continue to subsidize a quali qualified residence, even if all you need is those helps with daily benefits, um, like help with meals and medication and toileting, bathing and the like. But Medicaid, unlike Medicare, Medicare you qualify for if you've paid into Social Security and you're over 65. And there's other ways to qualify for Medicare. But Medicaid, on the other hand, is a means-tested program, which means you do have to have limited assets and income to qualify. The rules vary a lot by state. Um, most states allow you to have $2,000 if you're single and usually significant a lot, significantly a lot more if you're married. And certain assets are exempt and don't count as part of that $2,000. Now, the principal residence is, is exempt. Most states limit the amount of equity that you can have in that principal residence. Uh, California likes to be, you know, at this point, it still allows a residence of any value. Um, personal and household belongings, an automobile of any value. So if you want to get, you know, a nice, beautiful Cadillac, 
even if you can't drive it, Medicaid doesn't care. Your kids can drive it. So when it's an exempt asset, term life insurance, cash value life insurance, up to $1,500 in cash value, prepaid burial plots and IRAs and 401ks, you know, if you're getting principal and interest are also exempt assets. But you can't just give away assets and qualify for Medicaid. This is because it's going to cause a period of disqualification. Um, and unless in, in most states, you have to give away assets more than five years prior to actually needing Medicaid. Um, and there are a lot of strategies, though, that are available to you where you don't have to just spend down your assets. So if you walk into the, the Medicaid office and you don't have you don't qualify because you have too much in the way of assets, all they're going to tell you is, well, you have to spend down. They're not going to tell you the strategies that are available and ways in which you can protect your assets and make sure that you don't leave your spouse completely impoverished and without assets of their own. You know, there are strategies like purchasing exempt assets. I already mentioned one, you can buy an automobile of any value, transferring assets to a special kind of trust, a Medicaid asset protected trust, for example, personal caregiver agreements, going to the court and petitioning the court to increase the amount that you're allowed to keep. And in extreme cases, we might even recommend divorce. Now, you know, as uh, I also didn't mention, I'm also an elder law attorney. And there's a great difference between estate planning attorneys and elder law attorneys. And the difference I kind of describe like this, that estate planning attorneys don't do everything that elder law attorneys do, but elder law attorneys do everything that estate planning attorneys do. And oftentimes, estate planning attorneys who aren't really thinking about the future will often do things that will actually prohibit elder law attorneys from being able to do what they want, they need to do to protect assets. So for example, and we'll talk about this in a bit, in a bit, that if your power of attorney doesn't have specific provisions in it, you may not be able to use that planning to plan to qualify for government benefits. Now, the Medicaid irrevocable trust could be a great option. You know, this can ensure that all the assets inside of it are going to be exempt for Medicaid purposes. Most importantly, you know, if you put a house in it, what happens if you have to sell that house? It's going to convert it to cash, and that's going to make it a non-exempt asset when you sell it. However, if it's inside of a trust like this, it'll remain an exempt asset even if you sell it. And there is no recovery of those assets by the state Medicaid programs with assets held inside of this kind of trust. In some states like California, if you have assets flowing through a revocable trust, those assets are also no longer recoverable under the state Medi-Cal program in California. Again, that varies by state, how aggressive they are in recovering assets. So it's something you're gonna to wanna to look at, what are the rules in your state? And you are gonna give up some control with this kind of trust and whether this kind of trust is appropriate appropriate for you or not, you can meet with me or another elder law attorney to help you make that determination. Now, long-term care insurance is something that everyone who can qualify for it should obtain it. I don't care what size of state you have. You know, even if you have a five or $10 million state, you probably want to get long-term care insurance because why not just shift the burden to the insurance company and put your assets I've seen multi-million dollar states just get wiped out due to long-term care costs, by the way. 
So you want to leverage the insurance company to, to make sure that there's a way to pay for as much long-term care as you can. And you have options because with long-term care insurance, it can pay for care in your home or it can pay for care in assisted living or it can pay for care in a skilled facility. You have options and you have choices. And there are ways now to get long-term care insurance that are not like the ways they were 20 or 30 years ago. Those policies were expensive and they're pretty much use it or lose it, which means you could pay in all these premiums you know, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And if you never need long-term care, you just pass away, that money's just gone. Now, you know, for some people that, that bothers them, you know, we pay homeowners insurance every year, hoping our house doesn't burn down. Um, you know, same concept. But now there are insurance policies that even if you never need the benefits, those benefits can pass on to your family in the form of a death benefit. And, you know, you're going to want to look at certain things in the policy. Does it cover in-home care, assisted living, skilled care? How long is the coverage period going to be for is there going to be an elimination period, which means do I have to need care for a certain period of time before the insurance care will coverage will kick in? How much is the benefit daily? Is there inf uh, inflation protection, which means that, you know, the cost of care is expensive now, five, 10 years from more, especially with this 8% inflation we have now, the cost of care is going to be astronomical. So you want to make sure that your policy can grow and keep up as the, you know, as inflation increases and the, and the costs go up. You know, I can help you actually sit down, review, your, your, review the various options that are available to you as far as, you know, long-term care planning, legal planning, and insurance benefits, and help you get the protection and coverage you need. Now, veterans benefits are another option. You know, if you're a wartime veteran or surviving spouse, you can get over $2,400 a month in tax-free benefits for the rest of your life. These benefits can also go a long way towards paying for the cost of care. And I help a lot of veterans get these benefits. Now, you don't have to have a service-connected disability, which means that, you know, your, your disability does not have to be related to, uh, to being actually in combat or anything like that. So if all you need is some help with assistance of daily living, you can qualify for aid and attendance. But you had to have served actively 90 days continuously with one day during a wartime period to get, you know, to be able to qualify for the, the level of aid and attendance. There's different various levels. You do need to have some, need some assistance for ADLs. Um, you have to be a veteran over 65 or a surviving spouse of any age, usually to qualify. And again, there are certain limitations on assets and income uh, before you can qualify. However, again, there are strategies or, that are available to help you qualify quicker and to help you protect your assets, such as a different kind of trust called a Veterans Asset Protected Trust, which we typically regularly help clients get, get a Veterans Asset Protected Trust, which will protect their assets not only from qualifying for veterans benefits, but also for Medicaid benefits as well. You know, reverse mortgages could be another option for you. Um, you know, if you're over 62, and actually as of last year, if you're over 55, there are certain proprietary reverse mortgage programs that can be appropriate in some circumstances. But remember, you have to pay all the closing costs up front 
You might have to get mortgage insurance and pay other fees up front. And it takes a while to recoup all those costs, ideally. So you want to make sure that you don't need to sell your home or move out of your home for a very long period of time. Because when you do sell your home or move out, or if you die, the, the reverse mortgage is due. So you want to make sure that you have a long enough period to recoup those costs. Otherwise, a reverse mortgage doesn't make a whole lot of economic sense. So if you're concerned about health issues or you, know, you haven't been able to afford property taxes and other costs of your home, a reverse mortgage probably doesn't make sense because if you don't make the payments you know, for you know, property taxes and things like that, your house can still be foreclosed on. Um, and with a reverse, you know, if you're not actually making any payments, which in most cases with a reverse mortgage, you don't have to make any payments, but now you're not going to get the mortgage interest deduction that you might have been relying upon. So possibly when you go to file your income taxes, you might have to pay more in income taxes. So these are all things to consider. And remember that the money is due when you move out, sell or die. Um, so, you know, it can be used to allow you to stay in your home longer and not have to move out a long time um, because, you know, you can have additional money to pay for care at home. But, you know, you're still going to have to pay those fees that I mentioned. Now, you know, also you might obtain assets inadvertently. You know, if you pull money out in a reverse mortgage, this could disqualify you from Medicaid or veterans benefits. So it's important to think about that. And again, talk to an elder law attorney to make sure you're making the right decisions. Plus your heirs are going to have to pay back the loan plus the interests. Now your heirs do have options. They can either sell the property and pay back the loan plus the interest. Um, they can, you know, repay the debt um, and, you know, keep the equity above the loan balance when they, or they can keep the home and refinance the house into their own name. Or the, if the balance exceeds the value of the property, they can just hand it over to the lender. All right, so that's a little bit about some of the long-term care planning options, but let's talk a little bit about what a good estate plan should have. Now, as I already mentioned, every estate plan should have a durable power of attorney. You know, this is gonna allow somebody financially to be able to contract on your behalf and sign tax returns and pretty much do everything that you can do for yourself. So it can really help in the event that you need somebody to, to provide you some assistance with these things. But again, remember, you have to do this before you lose capacity because if you lose capacity, capacity you can't sign a power of attorney. And you, know, you may wanna speak with a, an elder law attorney to determine if you need or want certain powerful provisions in it that might help you qualify for benefits later on even if you don't want to plan now to qualify for those benefits, in many states, if the power of attorney doesn't provide that you can create a trust on somebody's behalf or give away assets to qualify for Medicaid or veterans benefits, you're, you can't do it. You're, the agent, which is the person you've given that authority to, is not authorized to do those things. So you may want to make sure you have those specific provisions in there if that's something that's important to you to be able to qualify for benefits later. But you do have to weigh it because, you know, giving somebody those kinds of authority, you know, they can completely change your plan or give away all the assets. So you have to decide, is this important to you? And can you trust the person you've named? Now, you also want to make sure that it's a durable power of attorney, which means that your agent 
is still going to be authorized to act even if you lose capacity. A non-durable power of attorney, you know, the person that you've given authority to, their authority ends with a non-durable power of attorney as soon as you lose capacity. And unfortunately, a lot of times people go down to the bookstore and pick up a power of attorney or try to go online and do their own power of attorney, but they don't realize that they're signing a non-durable power of attorney, which doesn't allow somebody to act when they lose capacity, which defeats kind of the reason for doing it. Um, an advanced healthcare directive, which allows somebody you appoint to make medical decisions and can also specify what kind of life support measures you want to have. Like, do you want to remain on life support indefinitely or pull the plug? A HIPAA directive, not HIPPO, HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A, the Health Insurance Protection and Accountability Act is the act which makes it nearly impossible for your family members to talk with doctors or hospitals or get confidential medical information. Without this document, you know, there might be certain individuals who might not be able to help you or get information. And you may want to also have a will or a trust. Now, the second piece is the transition plan. And this is the transfer plan to provide for the smooth transfer of your estate, your assets, avoid conflicts between family members, you know, maybe minimize taxes and avoid probate. It might also be a plan to, you know, make sure that when you're gone, if you want to create a legacy for the next hundreds of years, you can. What is an estate? An estate is everything you own and everything you control. Now, some people think they don't need to do estate planning because they don't think they have an estate. But remember, your estate planner actually includes life insurance policies. So life insurance is free from income taxes if it's done properly when you pass away. But it's not free from income taxes. I mean, from estate taxes. So if your life insurance could be included in your estate. So if you have a very large estate or a very large insurance policy, you might have potentially a bigger estate than you think you might have. Generally, I find, you know, people who are under, say, 50 or 60 typically are going to exaggerate and overestimate the size of their estate, whereas people who are over 50 or 60 typically underestimate the size of their estate. So what is an estate plan? It's a plan who's going to designate who's going to receive your assets, plan to minimize legal fees, court involvement, and taxes. Why do people do estate planning? Well, you know, one of the biggest reasons is to provide that life better care plan and, you know, provide for protection of assets, but it's also to avoid probate. Probate is the core process, which most people want to avoid at all costs because it costs up to 5% of your estate in legal fees, executor fees, filing fees, bond premiums, and other costs. And it can take, you know, 12 to 16 months on average to complete a probate. The national average is actually 18 months. I like to think of probate as nothing more than a lawsuit you file against yourself with your own money for the benefit of your creditors. Because nobody has to go through probate if they've taken the time to plan. It's also a, a plan to designate who's going to receive your assets and who's going to be in control when you pass away. And as I've already mentioned, it's really important to address what happens during life if you lose capacity. So a plan can be done with either a will or a trust. Well, what's a will? Well, a will can be a good first step because it allows you, know, you to designate what you want to happen with your assets. But there's a lot of problems with wills. Um, you know, wills only take effect when you pass away. So if wills only take effect when you pass away, they don't help if you lose capacity. You have to have a power of attorney um, and maybe a trust in order to allow for management of assets. 
Also, wills have to be probated to be valid and go through that probate process we talked about. Um, also, they don't control all your assets. So let's say, you know, you decide you want to leave assets to, you know, your favorite charity. You know, maybe you want to leave your assets to the Alliance for the Aging and Blind. And you put that in your will. But your life insurance policy, the beneficiary on your life insurance is your family. Well, your life insurance and possibly all your other assets are going to go to your family and not according to your wishes because wills, um, you know, beneficiary designations are going to bypass what your will says. Now, a trust, on the other hand, provides instructions. It's completely, you know, it's, it's a living, breathing document. So it does allow for management of assets both during lifetime as well as when you pass away. Um, this kind of trust is completely revocable, which means you can draw it up today and you can tear it up tomorrow. The other kinds of trusts we talked about, those Medicaid trusts and those veterans trusts, those are irrevocable trusts. Those cannot be changed, but they have to be irrevocable to allow you to qualify for benefits. And if set up properly, they can include all your assets, both reals and personal. Now, a trust is usually going to be recommended if you own property, if you have businesses, if you have young kids, if you have heirs or other individuals with disabilities, you're probably going to want to have a trust. Um, it's important, though, that you transfer all your assets into the trust and not leave anything out. And we can assist you in making sure that all your assets get properly transferred into the trust. I tell you a story about that, but I think we're running a little short on time, so I'll skip that story. And you can create a legacy with your plan. So if you want to make sure the assets you leave behind, you know, protect your children and grandchildren and your great-grandchildren against potential lawsuits and bankruptcies and you know, failed marriages, you can do that. And you can also, des you know, delineate that you want to make sure those assets stay in your family. You can make sure you transfer all of your wealth, your intellectual, spiritual, and human assets as well by creating a legacy video. You can create a legacy by having the charitable causes you believe in passed down for generations. Uh, you know, a little bit advanced for this topic, but you can establish a private foundation that allows you to donate money to during your lifetime and get an income tax, tax deduction to support the charities, charities that you want to support. And upon your passing, you can funnel assets into it. So there isn't any estate tax due. Now, right now, we're not too concerned about estate taxes because there's a very large exemption, a $12 million exemption. And if you're married, we can double that. But if Congress does nothing, we're going to revert back to a $6 million exemption come January 1, 2026. In addition, some states have a separate estate or inheritance tax. And if you live in one of those states, such as Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington, just to name a few, you're going to want to make sure you're planning in those states to avoid estate taxes in that state, because usually in a lot of those states, the threshold is a lot lower than $6 million dollars. Um, Oregon is one of the worst. I think everything over a million dollars is subject to an estate tax in Oregon. Um, now, the last piece is the family plan, and that's really providing customization. So if you have heirlooms or other assets that you want to make sure that nobody fights over, you're going to want to designate that. You know, even Robin Williams, when he passed away, his heirs fought over those famous Mork and Mindy suspenders for years because he didn't delineate who he wanted those to go to. Um, you know, you might want to have, if you have second marriages or blended families and you want to make sure that 
you know, your spouse can't just remarry and leave it all to somebody else. You might want to have a Q-tip trust. You might want to have spendthrift trust for wayward beneficiaries. Or if you're leaving assets to individuals who have special needs, you might want to have a special needs trust so they don't lose their benefits such as SSI uh, or Medicaid. Um, and that trust can also provide a lifetime of advocacy and support for them. Now, you know, we've a few things. Um, we've talked about the great importance of having a plan that's going to protect your assets for a lifetime. A lot of the different options involved with planning to protect assets during your lifetime. The different types of trusts, your vocal trust that can protect your assets and allow you to qualify for government benefits. And by the way, those irrevocable trusts have a secondary benefit in that if you lose capacity, and, and these days, I'll tell you, there's a lot of scams out there. You know, easily as you start to lose capacity, you can be taken advantage of. Um, I actually had a client of mine, you know, he, she called me up saying, dad is, is saying that, uh, you know, that the president of his branch of Chase Bank is under, you know, investigation by the FBI that he needs to click on this link to protect his assets. And she said, what do I tell him to do? Well, I thought about it for about two seconds and I said, this is a scam. Tell him, don't do anything. You know, if he does that, he's going to be in big trouble. Well, you know, and, and I said, you know what? Report it to the district attorney and tell him, don't do anything. And I said, call me back. Well, she didn't call me back for a little while. I think it was a day or two. And he said, uh, too late. He already transferred all his assets to the Philippines. They're gone. And by the way, they started asking him, uh, make sure you transfer your assets into a revocable trust. I mean, make sure you transfer the assets in your trust. And she said to me, how do they even know that he has a trust? And I said, well, they don't. They're just fishing for more information. And I said, well, thank goodness that you and I set up a special trust for him to protect some of his assets uh, so that he can qualify for benefits. And... Um, that you're managing those assets. Otherwise, those assets probably would have been gone too. So they have a secondary benefit to protect assets. So different kinds of trusts, you know, the different types of plans, uh, you know, wills and trusts and probate and, you know, various other things. You know, my purpose here tonight was not to try to make you an expert in any one topic. In fact, many of these topics we could spend a whole 45 minutes just talking about. Um, it's just to give you an idea of some of the things you need to think about, and you really want to talk to an expert who can help you with that. Now, if you do want to reach out to me, um, you know, for those of you who are attending this presentation and you let me know you've attended this presentation, you will waive any consultation fee. And I normally charge, you know, up to $750 an hour for a consult fee. Um, in addition, you know, we'll discount any planning that we do for you. And you can reach us by calling our office at 818-905-6088. Also, if you have questions and you like to text, you can text me on my personal cell phone at 818-405-8055. That's 818-405-8055. And I can also send you a link so you can set up you know, an appointment yourself and get on our calendar. Again, thank you so much for having me this evening. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be able to you know, speak for your community. I hope I've provided you with some valuable information that you can put to use right away. And thank you, Jeff and Bob, for inviting me to, to present. And uh, I, knew, I, I know we're going to open up for questions right now. 
So, if, you know, we can take another 10, 15 minutes or maybe the next few hours. If, if you like, I'm around, I'm available. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, we'll answer as many questions as we can. So let's open it up for questions. Okay, Natalie, um, give me a two minute warning so I can thank everyone uh, for this great uh, set of remarks we've had today. Do we have any hands? Yes. Um, Bob Acosta, you can go ahead. Hey, Bob. Am I muted? Can you hear me, Jeff? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Jerry, great job. I'll be writing to you. I think I'll die in my sleep and make it easy. And make <laughs> me Here's a question from a member. She asked me to ask it, so I will. Her name is Lorraine Brown, wonderful lady. If a couple already has a will and a trust in order to make a change slash codicil, does one have to do it through a lawyer or can it be done individually as long as it is notarized? Codicils, I guess she's asking about. Okay, so if I understand the question correctly, um, the individual part, I don't know if that means without an attorney, but you, it, it depends on what the trust says, whether you can make a change without your spouse, if that's what you mean. Now, I never recommend that you try to amend your own documents um, because in most cases, you're going to create ambiguities that can cause a lot of problems down the road. Um, and unless you're really a, a, an expert at doing that, I would not recommend trying to make your own amendments. And, and in fact, a lot of times people don't think them through and they, they cause a lot of ambiguities or problems that they didn't think about. Um, I had, well, this is an interesting story. I had a, a client, a very famous client, um, who, he, he was a, a writer for the famous Simpcom All in the Family and a very wealthy guy. Um, he couldn't get a hold of his lawyer. So he started trying to amend his documents. Well, I don't know. He, he did a lot of amendments anyways. It was so confusing what he tried to do and what he actually wanted. We were actually tied up in court for about five years trying to figure it out. Um, but that's an extreme example of making the mess. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Any other hands, Natalie? Yes. Connie Bateman, you should be able to. Lower hand button. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. I have some direct experience with, thank you very much for this program. It was very helpful. Oh, you're welcome. So, my husband became terminally ill and I, um, was urged or we were urged to do his advanced health healthcare directive and set up a trust before his surgery. So we, huh. so we did, and okay. we met with an attorney and he helped us set that up and everything. Um, and I'm so grateful we did that. So after he passed and COVID hit and people were dying of COVID and everything, I decided to go back, go and do my own, advanced healthcare directive. Okay. So um, I have, um, oh, and I set up a trust at the two main banks that I use. So okay. I have a, a person who has primary care, uh, primary power of attorney, and I have someone who has secondary power of attorney. So what advice would you give to me now that I am a single widow with no heirs? What else can I do to make sure everything's, we did not purchase long-term insurance. And uh -huh. so, so we had to pay a lot for it to, fortunately, we were able to keep him at home once he was done at the hospital and skilled nursing facility. Um, but I had to pay for caregivers and that was not cheap either. So 
Um, yeah. So what advice um, would you give to someone like me who's now a single single widow, no no kids, no heirs, or anything like that? Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear about your loss. And thank you. Um, the well, you know, your what I would advise is really going to depend on your personal situation and your assets. And I invite you to come in and um, or virtually, um, you know, we can talk about it and look at your assets and your situation. Um, like I mentioned during this presentation, uh, you might want to think about um, possibly looking at protecting assets inside of a Medicaid trust, mm -hmm. uh, if you're willing to potentially give up some control. Mm -hmm. um, that might be something we might recommend. Um, so again, it really kind of depends on your assets and your situation um, as to what we would recommend. What state are you in, by the way? I'm in Sacramento, California. Okay, so I can definitely help you then. So, uh, so um, yeah, and I own the house too. Okay. Yeah, so the nice thing is California passed rules recently that as long as your house is in a revocable trust, um, even if you do need Medicaid, you know, your heirs aren't going to have to pay back the state. There's no recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned you don't have any significant heirs, but uh, whoever you plan to leave it to, they're not going to have to, their, their uh, uh, legacy isn't going to be reduced by um by the state recovery programs. That's good to know. Tell me your first and last name again. My name's Jerry Kane. Um, they said Gerald, that's my legal name, but- How do you spell your last call name? Me Jerry, K-A-N-E. Okay. And um, oh, by the way, the my firm is Law Offices of Gerald Kane. It's in Southern California in Encino. And the website is uh, E-S-T-P-L-A-N.com, like a state short, short for mm -hmm. state, but estplan.com. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. Do we have any other hands? Yes. Nicolette, you, can, you should be able to unmute. Okay. Thank Nikki. you. Hi. Um, uh, this has been a wonderful, wonderful program. <clears throat> and um, I'm 77. I did a trust with um, um, about 33 years ago. Uh -huh. and, my, and my parents gave me a building. And at that time, it was three years if your parents gave you something or if you acquired something and then they died within three years, they could recover it and sell uh -huh. it and use it. Um, so I think that it, and now it's five years. But um, one of the things that I have done is I've made many changes over those 33 years and each one is a, an amendment. And uh -huh. I think I now have 13 or 14 amendments, but oh I agree. I agree. <laughs> Always. Well, things change, you know, new grandchildren come along. Um, yeah. So by all means, if you have a trust, go through the attorney. Don't try to do it yourself. And the one other thing, too, is that I didn't hear anybody mention it. But in my trust and will, it says if anybody contests it, they only get one dollar. I think that's very important because that yes. prevents people from contesting it. And the last question is, will there be a copy of this recording available? Because I think it's wonderful and I'd really like to kind of pass it on to people who might not have been able to hear it if that's possible. So thank you so, so yeah. much. So, so Nicolette, I will tell you a couple of things. Um, number one is that, you know, I usually recommend after two or three amendments that we do a restatement which means that you amend the trust in its entirety 
the name stays the same. So you don't have to retitle assets that are already in it, but you get a brand new document bringing in all of your current wishes um, and all the current law and current asset information. And I'll tell you that a lot of times when you have all these amendments, some of the, sometimes they can get lost. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to amend because you might overlook um, a proper amendment. You may not amend the right section and it cause problems. So a lot of times it's easier just to redo it and amend it in its entirety. Uh, well, these are, these are all incorporated into the document as an original document. Right. But I'm talking about a restatement where you, where it's I a see. complete okay. amendment of the entire trust. Okay. I'll talk to her about it because I'm making yeah. more changes. Yeah. And then the, the other thing is that um, leaving a dollar to somebody is kind of an antiquated way of doing things. Um, you don't really need to leave a dollar. You can just say, I disinherit them. But unfortunately, that does not prevent them from contesting, even if you have a, a no contest clause, because what the no oh, contest really? clause, yeah, what the no contest clause really means is that if you contest, you give up whatever you might have obtained had there been no trust. So, oh. you know, let's say, you know, let's say you have two kids and you're deciding you want to disinherit one of them. Um, you know, if your trust isn't there, your kids are entitled to equal shares, right? So right. what is the child who's losing, um, who's losing everything have to lose by going into court and trying to get their intestate share of 50% or even less than that? So it does not prevent a contest at all. And usually... What I recommend to people is sometimes give them a nuisance amount, even if it's $10,000, because that might be enough to make them think about contesting because now they're going to give up $10,000. So they better have a good case, which, you know, it's hard to contest. You really have to prove lack of capacity, undue influence, fraud or duress um, at the time that you created the document in order to win a contest. But again, people will do it anyways, just because they know that it's easier to settle than it is to try to go through a full hearing and all the court costs involved. Thank you. I think You're we welcome. have time for one more question. Oh, and will there be a recording? Hang on, hang on. We'll work on getting a recording, Nikki. Okay, I promise. Great. Thank you. Do we have time? Do we have one more hand? Um, I'm going to go to Clubhouse and see if we have anyone in okay. Clubhouse. Um, we do not have anyone in Clubhouse, but if you have a question, please raise your hand. I'll bring you up so you can ask. We'll give you a couple of minutes to raise your hand. This, this, whoever we get will be our last question of this, unfortunately. Yeah, one thing I uh, also will mention, you know, whether you're, if, you, if you're under 80, you can still get long-term care insurance. Um, and there are programs out there that allow you to actually leverage your assets. Uh, there's one that I know of that you can qualify for in about 30 minutes and you answer 10 questions. If you answer the first two, first five of those questions, um, no, you've doubled your money for long-term care purposes. If you answer the second five, no, you've tripled your money. So there are options. And I can't remember if that's up to 80 or 85. I'd have to look into it. But if anybody would like to know more information about that, feel free to reach out to me. And there are no raised hands in Clubhouse. Okay. Do we have any hands on the Zooms? Oh, um, what is your name, um, Clubhouse host? My name is Cassandra. 
Okay, uh, thank you. All right. Um, and, so okay. we have three hands on um, Zoom. Do you just want one of them, Jeff? Or yeah, we can only take one, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Um, area code nine five one, ending in is it three four two? You can go ahead and unmute. Okay, it's a California. Hi. Hi, my name is Nancy, and I have a reverse mortgage, and to make it I try to be succinct, um, I I was uh, heard Channel Seven. I was uh, people called when to buy my house. I say no thanks. I can't. Anyway, what do you think of um, t- home title theft? I, I sign up for home title lock for, for free for one month at nineteen ninety five a month. Can someone really steal your title? Thank you. Uh, the title of your house that that really concerns me now. Is that a good question? Uh, I think you were talking about um, making sure somebody can't steal the title on your house. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Well, honestly, I'm not that familiar with home title lock um, or what they actually do, but um, I have heard of those things happening. Um, And again, after, you know, you lose capacity, it's really easy to sign your house over to somebody. Um, which is another benefit of that irrevocable trust is that, you know, you're not the one who's directly going to be in control. So now, you know, your son or daughter, somebody else is, and so you can't be taken advantage of. So that is another way to potentially protect against that. And if you have, you know, a really tight family and you trust your, your kid, other individuals, then that's an option, but I'm not familiar with that title lock program. Um, But it sounds like a good program. Nancy, you might want to have, have someone look at the document that tells you exactly what coverage you get for the money you're going to pay. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that reverse mortgage also. Thank you. All right. Well, I want to thank our, our two hosts, Natalie and Cassandra. That's why I needed your name, Cassandra, because I wanted to thank you both for um, your great assistance today. I want to thank all of you for listening in and and Bob for giving us the referral and Frank, of course. And finally, uh, Jerry, this was just a fantastic uh, seminar and hopefully we can do it again on a specific topic next year and, 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 you know, pick your brain a little bit more, but again, thank you very much for, for everything this evening. You're very welcome. And thank you. And I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. Great. All right, ending it now, guys. Have a good night.